Well, we are in the middle of a series called Generous. Uh, we're taking a break from walking through Mark together. And uh, this particular series, we started last week, Generous. And uh, today we'll be in Matthew chapter 25, if you want to go ahead and, and turn to Matthew 25. But this series, I, I want to tell you what this is, what it has to do with and where it comes from. Why are we pausing our walk through the, the gospel of Mark? Well, generous has to do with your use of money, my use of money. How would God have us to handle uh, the money that comes into our lives? And uh, this series is really kind of birthed out of my concern for you as your pastor, uh, that we would that we would handle whatever it may be, whether it's money or relationships or whatever it may be, the way that God would have us to handle them. So I want to be faithful in showing you scripture, but kind of a a second motivator, I guess, for this series is that when you look at uh, where we are as a church, things are going incredibly well. We see new people coming in every single week. We see uh, people that have been here for for years growing in their in their faith, growing in their walk with the Lord. We see ministries going on and just all sorts of things around us. But if you look at our the, the financial side of things, uh, we're we're not necessarily matching up and uh, we're not in trouble. But uh, but I, I didn't want to simply just act as if nothing were going on. And so I want to just as your pastor to stand up here before you and be transparent about where we are uh, as a congregation, uh, both for your sake and for the glory of God. And so in doing that. Boy, I've set him up well. I've asked Steve Johnson, who's a member of our finance team, to come and just give you on a Sunday morning, the church gathered, a real picture of where we are. And he's going to tell you, I think, that uh, that actually when you look at things, that the giving is actually up over the last uh, last couple of years. Uh, but also so are, are our expenditures. And so I want you all to see exactly where we are in the midst of this series, Generous and then we'll come back to Scripture and we're going to look at over the next three weeks how uh, how we're going to uh, how we should handle money in our personal lives as well as as a faith family, as a church together. So, Steve, if you'll come, just give us a few minutes of kind of where we are. Thanks, Steve. Each. Uh... <clears throat> Each month at the regular church business meeting, the finance committee gives a, a summary of the treasury report for the month and for the year to date. And what we wanted to do, because on Sunday evening after this service, uh, for various reasons, it's a smaller uh, you know, crowd. So we wanted to come you know, this morning just to give you a brief overview of where we are <clears throat> from a financial standpoint. Because this is important, you know, for the church, but it's also important for God. So, guys, if you will, just uh, first slide. This is just looking at our expenditures uh, year to date through the month of July. And this comes straight off the treasurer's report. If you did not pick one up, I think last Sunday was the first Sunday that they were out. There should, <clears throat> excuse me, there should be some copies out there. Pick one up on your on your way out. But if you look at our budget receipts year to date, 
is $197,048. If you look at our expenditures, and as Scott said, you know, year to date, we're not meeting our expenditures. Our expenditures are 226477 so that's a shortfall against the expenditures of 29429 Now, the primary additional expenditure that we have this year that we have not had in, in years past is the mortgage on this building. That started, we closed it out and started it in, in January. God's blessed us with a beautiful building with the work that we did in the in the youth center. So, you know, we have been blessed. And we have really just a small mortgage as compared to what the total, you know, cost of this was. But the uh, monthly mortgage is $4,800 uh, per month. So if you do the math, you know, that's about what our shortfall is. And it's only, you know, 15%. If you look at the... Look at it on a on a weekly basis, and again it's the same numbers. But our weekly budget uh, is eight thousand one thirty one per per week, but the receipts are six thousand three fifty six. And as Scott said, that's up from previous years. But also our expenditures, our weekly expenditures are seven thousand three hundred four leaving a weekly shortfall of $948. And again, looking at the mortgage on a weekly, that's, that's $1,100. You know, so that's primarily where the, you know, the difference in spending versus, uh, uh, versus budget and receipt. <clears throat> and God will, he will, and don't give because the finance committee is saying, hey, we're, we're short, we've got bills to pay. Don't give to the church. You give to God. You be faithful in giving to Him, and He will He will bless you. And why do I know that? Because I know God says that. Scripture says that you you give faithfully to God, and He will bless you. Uh, scripture also says if you hold back and are not faithful in giving, He not only will not bless you, He'll take those blessings and give to others. So you put it in your on your prayer list, just as you pray for each individual. Put our finances on your prayer list as well. Come back tonight. We have a our business meeting is scheduled tonight, and we'll talk more and discuss it more in detail. Steve, and uh, I know that probably seems a little abrupt to do that, but um, you know it's sometimes easy to come in on a Sunday morning and and uh, come in and take a seat and uh, and take your your worship folder and just follow along and participate in the worship and actually authentically worship God. But this issue, this subject of finances, uh, we it can be easy to sort of neglect this. Uh, and in, when we do that, we say, in essence, God, I love you with all of my heart, but just not my wallet. And uh, Steve's right. God has uh, if, if Christ has, as I prayed earlier, stormed the gates of your life, and radically transformed you with his gospel, then he is Lord not just of certain areas of your life, but he's Lord of everything, Lord of all in your life. And so uh, we just wanted to be, I talked with the deacons, I talked with the finance team, and, and we wanted to just be totally upfront and completely transparent with you. Uh, 
And it seemed like the only way to really do that was to take a portion of the Sunday morning service and do that. As Steve said, we we uh, every month on Sunday nights, we do give the financial or the treasurer's report. But uh, it's a much, much smaller crowd. And so there's a lot of you maybe that aren't here on Sunday nights and uh, you may not know. I was speaking with someone last week and uh, they said, you know, it would be helpful if we just had some sort of a report every every month. And uh, I said, well, you know, we do. And it's out there in in the narthex in those clear stands out there for you to pick up every month. And they just weren't aware. And so I think there's probably a lot of you that um, maybe aren't aware or haven't thought that through either. And so we want we want to be uh, just transparent and good stewards from our end if we're going to ask you to do the same. So um, with all that being said, that's sort of the context to where we are. You hear Steve talk about a mortgage we do have a mortgage. I know that a lot of you sitting out there, probably a good portion of you sitting out there, you also have a home mortgage. You have bills coming in and credit cards and all sorts of things that are, that are, I guess, asking for your dollars in a lot of ways. Well, we want to look at what does Scripture say about how we should handle Money, And we're doing that. Last week we looked at Matthew chapter 6. Today we want to look at Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, I've entitled this sermon, Whose Money Is It Anyway? Whose money, whose money is it anyway? Matthew 25, let me just begin reading in verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one, he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came. And settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. And here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was mine with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given. And he will he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
Now, this morning, what I want to do is not pick apart every detail of this text, because we're dealing here with a parable. Jesus is telling a story to get across a point. Generally, parables will have at least one, really most of the time, just one, sometimes maybe more, but major point. And so I just want to make a couple of observations this morning from this text when it comes to whose money is it anyway. The first observation I want to make to you is this, that the master owns everything. We're just his managers. The master owns everything. We're just his manager. It says this in verse 14. It would be like a man who's going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. Sometimes uh, um, sometimes I'm hit with my sinfulness, with my depravity. Anybody ever get a wake up call and just see how ugly you really are? I mean, not not like in the morning before coffee, you know, but I mean, like like the, the condition of your soul. Um, this was the case for me this past week. Um, I've made no bones about it. I've hidden nothing about the fact that one of the areas that I struggle with the most is when it comes to issues of food. And uh, I pride myself on certain things. I enjoy food. It's, you know, it's a sport to me. If, if there was if there was a professional league, you know, I think I could probably, you know, be on a team, you know. But uh, I enjoy it. And so when I, when I go to the grocery store and I look for certain things, I find certain things and I bring them home. They become very, very just personal to me. You know, this is, this is this love affair with certain foods. And and the other day, and it was, you know, I'm really sick. I understand, you know, um, but the other day I brought home some some uh, some really nice tortilla chips and salsa. Oh, and it was going to be so good. And I remember we, I poured some of these out and I went in and I and I, I sat down and I began to eat. And then here came my daughter. She said, oh, chips and salsa. I want some. And I said, don't eat my chips. A little bit later, my wife came through the room and I found myself yelling at my wife. Those are mine. Two days later, I picked the kids up from school. We're at home. They're getting a snack before they do their homework. And and uh, and my daughter goes in and her snack. She she sees it in the cabinet. She reaches in the bottom and she pulls out the what's left of the tortilla chips in the cabinet. She pulls them out. And my response was, don't eat the rest of my chips. And then later it hit me. I could have gone out and bought ten more bags right then. I could have I could have bought the store out. It hit me what God had blessed me with, what could have been a blessing to my family. I hoarded for myself. And I began to call them mine. And I saw myself as owner, not manager. So yesterday there were a few chips left. And I was sitting in the living room and I felt really guilty. And I was watching a little bit of football, high school football on TV. And I sat down with those chips again. And it's amazing that they had lasted that long, you know. And uh, as, I'm, as I'm sitting there, my daughter walks to the living room and I said, 
You want some chips and salsa? No, thank you, Daddy. I said to my wife, honey, uh, would you like some chips and salsa? No, I don't, I don't think so. And then at this point, I'm thinking, take some chips and salsa. Ease my conscience. And, and a little bit later, my wife came in and she said, you have any chips and salsa left? I think I would like to have some of those. And I said, take them, you know. My heart is so unlike God's. Your heart is so unlike God's. We find ourselves, maybe with you it's not chips, but maybe it's something else that God has put into your life. He's, he's allowed it to come into your life, into your care, to manage for Him. And you are to take it and to use it to bless other people, to show His heart. But oftentimes we don't. Oftentimes we take it and we hoard it. But this is so opposite from the heart of God, isn't it? The reality is that God owns everything. Listen to these verses. Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Haggai verse two, verse, chapter 2, verse 8. The silver is mine. And the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. All of it. Psalm 50, verses 10 and 11. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 through 20. You are not your own. For you, Christian, were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. See, the heart of God is not one who says, I own everything, therefore everything is mine. God takes what he owns, which is everything, and he says, take and be blessed. Think about everything that you enjoy on a daily basis. You enjoy sunshine and oxygen and health to some degree. You enjoy shelter and clothing and all sorts of different blessings that we take for granted. Relationships. We, we take everything for granted. And all of it belongs to God. And God says, take it and be blessed. Even Christ, Philippians says, that he who was in every way equal with God didn't consider equality with God a thing to be held on to. But instead he emptied himself. And he took on the form of a servant, even the form of a slave, even going to death, even death on a cross. When it came to coming to this world to redeem you from the fallen condition of sinfulness in creation, Jesus did not look around at heaven and say, mine. But instead, Jesus said, I will give whatever it takes so that they would be blessed. See, my heart and your heart, so many ways, we are so different than God. God owns everything, but he entrusts what he owns to us. The word entrust is different than the word give, isn't it? 
If I give you something, then all of a sudden, sudden I stop being the owner and you become the owner. If I give you something, I'm not expecting you to give it back. But if I loan you something, if I entrust it to you, then you don't become owner. But you are expected to manage it. To take care of it. Randy Alcorn says it this way. A steward or a manager, a steward manages assets for the owner's benefit. The steward carries no sense of entitlement to the assets he manages. It's his job to find out what the owner wants done with his assets, then carry out his will. How different our lives would be if we would truly see ourselves as managers and not owners. So first point, first observation is this. The master God owns everything that we are simply to be his managers. Secondly, second observation from this text I want to show you this morning. The amount that we're given, the amount that we're entrusted with doesn't matter what you do with it does. Verses 15 through 18, all three notice got something to one. He was given five talents. One was given two talents and one was given one. They all were given something, but the amount was up to the master. We don't have a right to say to the master, that's not fair. Why didn't I get as much as he got? We have a lot of that that goes on, don't we? We have a lot of envy that goes on when we look across and we say, how come they're so blessed? Why, why, can't, why can't I have what they have? And we begin to covet what our brothers and sisters have. The reality is what we have comes from the heart of a loving God who has entrusted what we have to us for his glory. We don't have a case to say it's not fair. He's the master and owner of it all. And anything that he entrusts to us is grace anyway. Isn't it? If we got what we deserved, none of us would have anything. We would all be in hell. The second thing in this, though, is the amount doesn't matter what you do with it does is all of it, regardless if it was five or two or one. All of it was little. Did you did you catch that? Whenever Jesus comes or the master comes back and he they all come back and they settle account, and they report uh, with, with the one with five and the one with two. The master said to both of them, you've been faithful over little. I will put you in charge of much. So whether it was five or whether it was two, whether it was one, it was all little. So regardless of what you have, it's all little. Let me show you what I mean. A talent here in the, in the text in the Old Testament, a talent was a weight. It was a measurement of weight. It was roughly equivalent to about 75 pounds. So think 75 pound feed bag, something like that. If you ever worked on a farm, haul those things around 75 pounds. That was a talent in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, though, it was it became uh, an amount of money. It wasn't a coin because it was too much to be a coin. It was a large amount of money. A talent was the equivalent of about 20 years wages for the average person. Well, that puts things in a whole different perspective, right? To the one he gave one, to the one he gave two, to the one he gave five. If we were to do the math and translate that into the economy of today, let me just show you this. If it was the equivalent of about 20 years wages for the average laborer, then what would it be today? 
Well, today, if an average worker earns about $120 a day, and for some of you that you say that's high, for some of you say that's low, but that's probably about average, $120 a day, times five days a week, times 50 weeks a year, times 20 years is $600,000. So to the one who was given one, he was given the equivalent of $600,000. To the man who was given two, $1.2 million. To the servant who was entrusted with five, he was given $3 million. As the master is going away on a journey and he's entrusting this to them. You say, wait a minute, I thought your point was that all of this was little. I mean, $3 million doesn't sound like little to me. Have you seen some of the game shows, the funny stuff, the crazy stuff they will do for less than that? Three million dollars doesn't seem like a little, not when comparing it to your wealth. But when you compare it to the one who owns everything. Three million dollars is nothing. I mean, three million dollars is is nothing. He owns everything. You say, well, then what's your point? I mean, then why does he care what I do with it? If it's so little to him, what does he care Because in your handling of money, you have an opportunity, whether it is a little or a lot in your eyes, to show where your faith really is. If you spend all of your time spending all of the money that comes into your care on yourself, storing up treasures on earth where where rust and moth will destroy, thieves will break in and steal, then you show through that who you really trust in. Do you really trust in yourself? And you really don't believe that his heart is so gracious that he could provide it for tomorrow and the next day and the next day and that he will take care of you for the rest of your life. Instead, you say, I don't know if it will be here, therefore I will spend it today. And I will spend it on me for what I want. I will decide what is right for me, what is good for me. But if in turn... You take the approach to where you say, I will not spend it on myself, storing up treasures here on earth. And there's nothing wrong with having some things, okay? But if that's all that you ever do, then that's that's wrong. It becomes an idol in your life. But if you if your attitude is, I will store up treasures in heaven. Then you show that you trust that he is a loving, gracious, sovereign God. You see, the way we handle money, the way we steward or manage God's resources is an act of worship. Worship goes beyond sitting down at a piano, which I will not do because I cannot do. It goes beyond picking up a guitar and throwing things on the screen and us singing and lifting our hands. Worship is the attitude of the heart with everything. It's the understanding of who he is and how who he is impacts who I am in every area of life. Handling money is that expression of worship. I want to just ask this question before I go on. How much money will pass through your hands in your lifetime? Just just think about it and, and don't think in vague terms. Think in, try to think in... Uh, fairly concrete numbers. Take your salary. Allow for 
raises and things like that all through the years and and try to just come up with a number, just a ballpark number of how much money will pass through your hands in your lifetime if you live out to a certain age. It's more than you think. Now, the amount doesn't matter. But how you use it does. Think about what could be accomplished through Abner Creek Baptist Church for the glory of God with what comes through your hands. Third and last observation I'll make to you today, this morning, is this. The master is only on a journey. He's not gone for good. In this story that Jesus tells, the master goes away on a journey, entrusts 600000 $1.2 million, $3 million to his servants, but he's only going on a journey. And in the middle of the story, he comes back and he settles accounts with them. And those who manage what the master has entrusted to them well, they will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Oh, that we would live more for the well done, good and faithful servant than we do for the attaboys of this world. Those who manage what the master has entrusted to them well will hear well done, good and faithful servant. Oh, that we would live for that. They will also be entrusted with even more. This is what Steve was um, referring to earlier. They will be entrusted with even more. He says to them in verses 21 and 23, both the five talent and the two talent man. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. I need to point out to you, though, it may not be in this world. There have been there have been people throughout history who have given everything that they own and have even their own lives. And God has let their lives be spent to his glory. Did they lose out? Were they foolish? Jim Elliott lost his life serving God. It was he that said he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he can what he I messed that up. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. It may not be in this world. It may not be here that you are blessed and put over more. But the reality is that one of these days, you as a believer will find yourself in heaven. In heaven. In the presence of God. And you have an opportunity. If you have managed what he has allowed to come through your life here, you have an opportunity to be set over much there. Those who manage what the master has entrusted to them well will be invited into the joy of their master. What is that? I, I thought about that. I, as, as I read that, I thought it's kind of an odd phrase. Enter into the joy of your master. It's just such a such a weird phrase. So I began to think about what that would be. And I looked for some other scripture to interpret that particular scripture. You know what I found? Hebrews chapter 12, verse two. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. 
For those who use what comes into their lives in this world well, they will enter into the joy that Jesus has earned. Now, is that saying that we can earn our way in there? No. What we're saying is that the way we use his money here shows whether or not we really belong in his joy. We show that we belong in his joy because we belong to him. We are part of the joy that was set before him. For which he endured the cross. So those who manage what the master entrusts to them, they will hear well done, good and faithful servant. They will be entrusted with even more and they will enter into the joy of their master. But for those who do not manage what God entrusts to them, well, they will have no excuses. No excuses whatsoever. In verses 24 through 27, the one talent man who took it and hid it in the ground, which was common in that day. He says, Master, I knew you to be a hard man. There's excuse number one. Reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. Excuse number two. So I was afraid. Excuse number three. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. So here is what is yours. Excuse number four. What is Jesus response to all of those excuses? He says to the man. You wicked and lazy servant. Is that a little harsh, you think? I mean, the man was simply afraid. He didn't want to lose all that the master had given him. Isn't, isn't that a little harsh? No. When Jesus here, when the master calls him wicked, he does so because the one talent man makes assumptions and accusations about the very character of the master that aren't true. Notice the question mark at the end of verse 26. The master says, you knew me to be a hard man, reaping where I have not sown and gathering where I've scattered no seed. The question mark indicates that it was not true. This was an accusation. So he's wicked because he says, makes assumptions that are wrong, false. There are some that are living their lives today. Listen to me. There are some living their lives today as if. As if God's too loving. To bring judgment. He's too kind to punish. If God is too loving to judge, too kind to punish, then what's the deal with the cross? Why did Jesus go to the cross? When you make assumptions about the character of God and bank on those, you better make sure that they are true assumptions. He also calls him lazy or slothful. If the master really was a hard man, shouldn't he have labored all the more to bring an increase? Shouldn't he have labored all that much harder to bring $600,000 back with a little interest? With a little profit? I mean, if you were working for Donald Trump, if you were to appear on The Apprentice and he gave you a certain amount and said, go invest this, I expect a return on my investment. Would you go out and hide it and then report back and say, Donald, I knew you were a hard man, not the best hair in the world. Here's what you gave me. 
It's all it's all here. You would not do that unless you wanted to hear from Donald. You're fired. Right. Why do we treat Donald Trump differently than we treat the God of the universe? Those that don't manage things well, they will have no excuses. What they have will be taken away. I don't have time to go into that. And they will prove that they don't really belong in the joy of the master. Jesus says there, the master says, remove the servant, cast him into darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. For the one who takes what God allows to come into their life and simply hoards it for themselves, stores up treasures here on earth, cares nothing for treasures in heaven. They prove that God has no claim on their lives. That they are their own God. What about you? Preacher, why? Why all this now? Why? Because, as I've already said, your money, the way you handle it, the way you handle God's money in your care is an opportunity for you to either worship God or to worship yourself. The way we handle money is an opportunity for us as a church to worship God, to store up treasure in heaven, to advance the kingdom of Christ To do things that are daring and bold for the mission. To not just say we believe, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, but to actually put our money where our mouths are. To do something with it for the glory of God. Money matters. It's all His. You're just His manager. He is coming back, He will settle accounts. Church, from the heart of your pastor, I pray that we would be good managers for his kingdom. Amen? Let's pray together. God, we we love you. God, I pray that right now, through even this topic, God, I pray that we would see that We can't rehabilitate ourselves. We can't pick ourselves up and make ourselves do this if we have not been changed by the gospel. So, God, right now, I pray in this room, Lord, if there are people here that are lost. Who are proving their lives are proving out that they are not the good and faithful servants because they've been changed with the gospel, but they've never been changed. They've never been saved. And God, today I pray, God, that you would make it clear and that you would save them. God, I pray beyond that, God, all across this room and all across this faith family, that, God, we would see every area of life, including money, through the lens of your word. God, that we would not be content simply to look at it. But, God, that you, by your spirit, would enable us, God, to apply it and to live it out. God, show us what that will require. God, change us so that you, your kingdom might be advanced in this world. And God, so that ultimately there would be more that would glorify your name. Your glory can't grow, but the response to it can. 
And God, I pray that that would be, we would see that as being tied directly to how we spend and use what you entrust to us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.